everybody, welcome to our next episode of Exponential Wisdom. I'm here with my dear friend and coach, Dan Sullivan. And Dan, today I want to talk to you about the crazy world that we're heading into in which I believe everything we touch and interact with is going to be intelligent. So let's jump in here. Well, I've got a great example of this, Peter. You've been to our Toronto house, and we sort of sit up on a hill, which is really very inconvenient during our Toronto winters when we get a lot of snow and ice because you can't get up the hill. So right from the beginning, this was start of the plans. We put in heated driveways and heated sidewalks, which have sensors, which sense the moment it goes below freezing and that senses any kind of moisture, it immediately turns on. So the rest of the neighborhood is just snowed in in the morning, but our driveways and our walkways are completely dry. But they failed with this cold spell that we're having. And the reason was the company that installed the programming on it didn't realize that the pavement would get a lot colder and therefore the heat that went through, they're kind of like tubes underneath. It's a warm liquid that uh, warms it up. And so they had to raise the heat level. And then within about six, seven hours, everything was dry again. And to me, that was just a first foray into the world. I mean, we all have thermostats in our house and we have all sorts of things like that, but this is an unusual one. And I just love, you know, for close to 20 years, Every big blizzard we've had in Toronto, our driveways are always clean and dry right from the beginning. And it was just a sign that we have intelligent driveways. And And it feels like magic, right? When all of a sudden... Oh, it's wonderful magic. And you can extrapolate this one example out through many other areas. So let me give you the moment that sort of snapped in my head that got me thinking about this. And there were sort of a couple moments, right? So number one, the proverbial moment, I have, you know, these six-year-old twin boys, Dax and Jed, who I love so much and who I'm seeing the world through their eyes. And of course, they're iPad, tablet aficionados. And so everything's a touchscreen except for the TV and for other things. And so they're going to my computer and trying to swipe the screen or the TV. And it's like, clearly there's in a transition. But I go to China every year, sometimes twice a year because of the incredible progress there, right? China has made a commitment of hundreds of billions of dollars in the AI realm. And Eric Schmidt, the outgoing chairman of Alphabet, announced recently that he believes China within five years is going to be more advanced the United States in AI because of the level of commitment they are. And so one of my friends in China is a guy named Kai-Fu Lee, And Kai-Fu used to be the head of Google China before that got shut down, and Apple and Microsoft, super smart guy. And he was sharing with me the investments. He runs a $2 billion venture fund called Sinovations. He's an investor in planetary resources. And he was saying, I've got an investment in a company that's making these AI-enabled chips that will be machine learning chips. That means that they will, if they're plugged into any kind of a device, a toy or whatever, it can learn and become intelligent. And I said, well, how much is that? He goes, oh, about five bucks. So imagine if for five bucks, you can add intelligence to anything in your world. I think about like my kid's toy, that uh, if it had a speaker and a microphone, 
it could learn my kids' names and start to have conversations or learn how they... Mm -hmm. And so when everything becomes intelligent, what's that going to be like? And I'm just trying to think about it. I'm clear that we're heading there, that everything's going to be imbued with intelligence, Mm -hmm. where you can talk to anything, you can ask for things. So anything that's static. But I'm also sure that I can't imagine... 2% of what the world's going to be like just in 10 years when everything's becoming intelligent. What are your thoughts there? Well, you mentioned the one area where I think it'll enter first, and that's toys. And my feeling is that toys is always one of the cutting-edge areas where new technologies are experimented. And the other one is warfare. You have the Chinese example. I'm sure that they have surveillance objectives for a lot of their AI because they're still a communist country, and communism is censor-centric, censoring people's thoughts, <laughs> yes. censoring. Uh, it's also censor as in censoring, but also censor as in they have censors looking at everything. It's interesting, yeah. a double entente there. Yeah. So my feeling is that probably where you're going to see it fastest is in the warfare and I'm sure it already exists in ways that are not advertised, but of uh, sensing any kind of change. One example of that from history is that when Reagan negotiated with Gorbachev near the end of the 80s, he was dealing from a very strong hand because at that time the CIA had sensors in their satellites that were passing over the Soviet Union all the time that could calculate the wheat yield of the Soviet Union down to about 98%. Uh, They could just look at how the fields were developing, what color they were, how much moisture they had, and they could calculate exactly what the yield was. And they knew that the Soviets were not meeting their wheat. And if anything causes a revolution, it starts with lack of bread. Yeah. So that was 30 years ago. So where is it now, this type of sensing? So toys and weapons. But let me ask you a question. You deal with people who can write a check for anything they want. What are their home lives becoming, just as an example, where their homes are becoming intelligent in the way that you're describing here? Have you been wowed? by any situation where this is all right. I mean, where it's going to start on the consumer level is with people for whom the check doesn't matter. They just want a particular result. Yeah, I've been to homes. I mean, you hear about whether it's someone like Charles Simone or Bill Gates or Larry Page or Sergey Brin and so forth. And I don't see, I mean, I see a lot of gadgets. One of my friends, Yuri Milner, his home Everything is screens, right? So everything, giant screens, giant projectors, so that when he has a party, it's themed. And throughout the house, every surface is visually themed around mm-hmm. astronomy or chess or you know the various parties I've been to at his home. So it's beautifully visually, right? Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. But I'm still thinking that we're still two or three years. I mean, Alexa and Google Home are the earliest versions of that where you mm-hmm. speak your intention and something comes out. I'm more thinking about the time when you're at the breakfast table, you've just eaten breakfast, and you get up to go to work, and the AI knows basically your schedule. It sees you moving towards the door, and it calls the autonomous car that pulls up for you. You never Mm -hmm. had to call for the car. 
and it knows you didn't get much sleep last night because it monitored your amount of sleep. Mm -hmm. So the car it pulls up to the door is a car that's got a bed in the back. I think the term I love to use is that the world becomes automagical. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like having a slave or a army of of servants who are watching your needs and anticipating it and getting it ready before you even know you need it. I can tell you where I would use it if I'm expanding it beyond heated driveways. One of the reasons, and I'll tell you that there's an annoyance factor that I think it will be used for first, that we'll try to eliminate the things that really annoy us in life before we'll start into the area of things that really give us pleasure. The truth is that if the driveways were not cleaning themselves at our house, Dan would be out there cleaning them. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. And that's annoying. First of all, it's not a good use of my skills. And I can't charge for it. You know what I mean? So what's annoying now? Lots of things having to do with my computer. You know, I mentioned at the last workshop when you were there that my desktop is always a disaster because... I'm good at creating things. I'm not good at filing things. I'm not good at organizing things. And if there was a self-organizing function, that would immediately just ask me a few questions. And the moment I start into it, a question comes up and say, now, do you want me to create a file for this? Where do you want the file to be? And everything like that. Because it gets out of control and then You know, I have to spend hours going through and doing that, and it seems like an annoying waste of time. So my feeling is if I'm getting into this world, I'm going to eliminate all the annoyance factors first. Interesting. There's this Number of the Beast. It was a Robert Heinlein book that I read many, many years ago. And I remember one thing that was incredible about it. It was just this. He had an AI in his life, and his AI kept track of everything. And so he didn't organize anything. So he would say, where are my gray shoes? And the AI, she would say, well, one of your shoes is over under the pile over there, and the other one is in your upstairs closet. And so there's like the infinite IoT, the infinite internet of everything. So you can know where anything is, and you don't have to actually organize anything. It's fine wherever it is. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if that's fine with you, that wouldn't be fine with me. But you see, there's a demand curve that will bring this into fruition. And I just want to know where the demand curve actually starts. And I think it starts at the annoyance level. (laughs) People are much more conscious of the things that annoy them than the things that they want, because it irritates you every day. Somebody say about what annoys me. I mean, I hate driving, so AI will take care of my driving. Yeah, that's been a big one right Right. there. Ordering food. I'd love the AI to be able to just have my food available and measure my blood glucose levels and know what is healthy for me and know what's reasonably around. I mean, it's like surprise and delight me in delivering food to me. That would be interesting. So I'd get the healthiest, most tasted. And when I, the other thing is a lot of times I'll be in the moment of having an experience like at a restaurant, at a store on at a hotel and airlines. It's like, this sucks. I would like my AI to record all of my experiences and then be able to take that into account whenever choosing a hotel or a restaurant or whatever the case might be and do that automatically so that the cycle gets back instead of me remembering to tell somebody, what is the name of that hotel I really loved or that restaurant I really hated? So that would be really valuable. In a previous podcast, Peter, you talked about the Esther intelligence that you have in in your life here. Yeah. So what are the things that 
Esther does for you that she finds annoying? I mean, this would be a, a good question because yeah. that's where I would start. Yeah. Until Esther 2.0 comes into your existence, you better keep this one real happy. I'm sure <laughs> Esther's going to get the record recording of yeah. this, so I'm just building. Yeah. I'm building up points when I hear it. But the other thing is, what is it annoying for you that other team members? You wish they weren't tied down in certain things. Because one of the things I spend a lot of time is my team members free me up. How do I free up my team members? Absolutely. The big thing is I don't want them doing work that they find annoying. You're hitting me cold with this particular topic, but I would just go after annoyance. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to go after. So it's annoyance on one side and then yeah. surprise and delight yeah. on the other extreme, right? I know there is technology right now. I still bring my stack of business cards to Esther, who then gives them, hopefully, to Nikki, who we brought in to support Esther so that she is able to free up her time, right? And then eventually there will be a AI that supports Nikki down the line. But at the end of the day, there's going to be the surprise and delight where, again, things become magic. Mm-hmm. Like your desires and your intentions are fulfilled without you having to ask. Like you know that when Babs does something for you that she knows you love and she surprises you with it or takes care. I mean, someone that, that cares about mm-hmm. you. And so I think at the end of the day, when the world becomes fully AI enabled, it's going to have a high surprise and delight quotient. Mm-hmm. It's like, I noticed you were slightly limping and you worked out yesterday, so you're probably sore. So a masseuse robot has cuddled up next to you to give you a massage Mm -hmm. while you're having your conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, those sorts of crazy things. But, I mean, I'm going to use a previous example from an episode, and it has to do with drones. Yeah. That you're a drone fanatic, if I can. uh, (laughs) So what would be better about your learning about new drones and having experiences presented to you that you wouldn't have to do all the thinking work on it, that the intelligence would be delegated to a system that would be looking at new things for you. So that's interesting, right? Because I probably, there are certain things I don't want an AI to do for me, right? There's certain things where I want to go through the discovery process. Mm -hmm. I might want to go through it more efficiently. It's like I might want to pop into a virtual world where if there's a hundred drones and AI has down selected top five for me, right? And so I've done that before. I've done that with my team. I'll say, listen, in fact, on these podcasts, you know, Marissa, (laughs) another one of my AIs on my team, comes forward with three or four podcast ideas from conversations we've had. And then I will down select from those. And then she contacts me to see what my proposals are for the day and that happens automatically yeah automatically yeah as far as you know it happened automatically yeah she's carbon based for the moment but i'm sure eventually we'll convert her to an ai as well so at the end of the day there are things i don't want an ai to do for me yeah like i think there's going to be a lot of times where i don't want the ai to make final decisions for me i don't want to feel disempowered Mm -hmm. and then there's stuff where i like just don't bother me You know, my wife is much more into the visual tactile. So in choosing a piece of furniture or a dress, for me, it's like, I don't care as much. I just want it functional. But I will desire to use that, overuse that drone example to make a final decision in which toy I want to play with. How would you experiment with this? Because 
we've already had an incredibly successful experience with our self-cleaning driveways and that you could look at other areas. But on the other hand, we have a fabulous housekeeper in Toronto who almost like is out there thinking about, I wonder if Dan and Bads would like that. So there's a crossover point where it starts off with human intelligence of a very high order. You were talking about that in relationship to your team. And I do that too. And then where's the crossover point where you want that to be automatic? You don't necessarily want it to be on payroll. I mean, you're going to have to pay for it, but... Yeah, so there is a version of hell in which everything happens automatically all the time and you're not making any choices. The choices are the ones you would have made anyway, but you feel completely disenabled to have choice in your life. And you might start saying, I don't want that, even though it's what you really want, simply because you want to make a choice for something else. Mm -hmm. It's like being a parent and child where the parent is constantly solving the problems for you. If you don't have a challenge in your life, Mm -hmm. right? So this is the issue of people, you know, when Tony Robbins talks about the basic needs, right, of certainty and uncertainty, if an AI is always giving you certainty, like it's always delivering what you want, Mm -hmm. there's some point at which you want uncertainty just to Mm -hmm. mix it up a little bit. No, it's a different part of your brain. A different part of your brain is being stimulated. Well, I'll give you an example. Babs and I do literally nothing in our home, okay? Our food is catered, and we have a long-standing catering relationship, so he's got a wide variety of different things. Is it cooked in your home or delivered cooked? Delivered cooked, and then we warm it up. If it's a party, he comes and cooks it in the the home. But the one thing that I won't give up is washing dishes the last thing at night. And it goes back to childhood. It was one of the first things where I really proved my usefulness to my mother. Wow. And that was washing dishes, starting with a dirty kitchen and then restoring order to that kitchen is a visceral pleasure for me. And I feel very, very solid about that experience. You connect to a good boy, Danny. Yeah. yeah. I was a hero. I was a hero. Well, I'll tell you one thing about the Tesla. So we've had the Tesla now for half a year. It's deprived me of one of my hero roles with Babs. She hates gas stations. So I would always be the person out and pump the gas Half the time she'd say, boy, I'm so happy that you do that for me. And that was a reinforcement. So I want to introduce here that there's pleasures that we have in life that are really involved in doing analog things. They're not digital things, they're analog things, where it's important to the relationship that we have, and there's a relationship value with certain activities. Writing a handwritten letter. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, I don't know when the last time I wrote, other than a card, yeah. wrote a handwritten letter. But receiving them, you know, I yeah. mean, Joe had a guy who did a 10-minute talk, and he talked about the power of actually doing this, that it's so noticeable to people that they'll actually keep the letter out on their desk and look at it. And, you know, it was like an artifact from the Egyptian tomb or something, (laughs) you know, and there's this feeling of something out of time. So I think that we want variance. We want diversity from one kind of experience. If everything's digital, then you're going to want a lot of experiences that aren't digital. I love exploring this subject with you because I've thought about this in the periphery, but never gone deep. But so there is a version of the future in which when everything's imbued with intelligence and automated, it's going to do a couple things. One, yes, there'll be always be some surprise and delight in that regard. 
But the other is, I think there's a variant of that, which is hellish, where you feel uninspired, unchallenged. Interesting. It's a nonstop holodeck experience. So I'll never forget, there was an episode of Twilight Zone, which I used to love to watch. This guy dies. He goes someplace and all the women are hitting on him. He goes to a casino and he wins every bet. Everything is going his way. and He can't do anything wrong. You know, it's like everything is perfect, perfect, perfect. And he gets to a point where he goes, oh, my God, I'm so sick and tired of winning. Man, heaven is awful. And then someone says, what makes you think you're in heaven? (laughs) Right? Yeah. So I'm thinking about that when everything is perfect and exactly the way you want it and responds to every one of your desires and there's no challenge. It was Socrates or Plato who wrote, the unexamined life is not worth living. And a variant of that is the unchallenged life is not worth living. So we need challenge in our life. I think we also need fear in our life. I think we need danger in our life. I think we need setbacks in our life. Because we learn how to do different things with all those experiences. But, you know, I have routines. I'm very much of a routine guy. And it's one of the ways that I've offset my ADD is that I have a set of tremendously good habits, organizational habits, exercise habits, and everything else. But every once in a while, I say, you know, I really don't want to do that today. I just want to break the pattern here. And so breaking the pattern, I mean, you talk about disruption, that there's a positive side to disruption. It's the destructive part of the creative destruction. Right. And you always talk about that you have to be disrupting yourself. How do you deal that with patterns that you have? You know, they're 100% successful. They work all the time. There's no sense in not doing this. But one day you say, I just don't want to do this today. Yeah. I think that sense of just want to do this today comes from the, it's boring to just do the same thing over and over again. And you want a challenge and you want uncertainty, right? Because doing the same thing over and over and gives you certainty and the wanting uncertainty to spice up life a little bit. Yeah. Well, there's no new learning. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like our body. One of the things I watch out for is that my body gets too used to a particular exercise And I don't get the value out of it simply because the body just economizes every time it does it and said, well, kind of knows the the great thing, the muscle confusion. Right. That you want to keep your muscles confused all the time because then they have to adjust in new ways. I think our brain is a muscle in that effect that we have to keep it off balance to have new thoughts. So one of the things that makes gameplay exciting Mm-hmm. is that you're always being challenged at a higher and higher level, yes. right? That every time you master a level, it takes you to the next level where it's a brand new set of challenges. So here's a theory for you. As the world around us becomes super intelligent and super automated and simple and automagical, and there's no challenge there, I think we're going to end up spending a lot more time in the game world. That, or to follow up another theme, we want to go to different planets that aren't intelligent, you know, that are completely hostile. Well, but if we bring our stuff with us... Yeah, but we may find that that planet has tricks that ours don't, you know, for doing in humans. I mean, it's an interesting thing, but, you know, here's a question. 
I'm 73, and I'm more intellectually stimulated at 73 than I was at 53, mm-hmm. okay? But it's been a conscious set of activities that I get myself into. For example, when I record videos, I want no preparation whatsoever, and I sit in front of the camera, and they just hit me with scenarios yeah, for me. that I have to respond yep. to. Yep. And I am so pumped by that hour. You know, we spend an hour... Twitter has a new thing where you can do videos on Twitter if they're less than two minutes. Oh, cool. Okay, so they hit me with five thoughts from Strategic Coach, and I came in at a minute 45, minute 55 with each one of them, and I said, what if it was two minutes and one second? They said they wouldn't accept it. And I said, oh, I like this game. (laughs) I like this game. I wonder how close I can get to 159. That'd be a great thing for you. Yeah, it gamifies it. Yeah, gamifies it. People will say, we're going to do a podcast with you, and we want to send the questions. And I said, I don't want to know what your questions are. I want to find out what your questions are in the moment. And more and more, if I look at my life in 2017 compared to 20 years previously, my life is less prepared when I go into performance today by a factor of 10 times, I'm less prepared than before I would. And the reason is it keeps me very stimulated. It keeps me on my toes. Yeah, and it's authentic. So here's an idea I have you. Maybe humans are going to go to higher and higher level of performance in all areas of their life because they have this intelligent environment. They're going to be freed up, but they'll still want all the stimulation of going to a higher and higher level. I think that's a very good point. I've talked about before when my dad passed away in the hospital, all of the doctors and nurses were focused on his numbers and his subsystems and no one was looking at the human, right? There was no one freed up to care about the person. Everybody was worried about the heart or the muscle or the bone Mm -hmm. or the spinal or this or that Mm -hmm. and the other thing. So I was always like, for God's sakes, let those things to the AI and the robots and someone emotionally connect with the family. So I think that what you're saying is we will be driven to try and find stimulation and meaning at a much higher level. I also think we're going to play a lot more, a lot more games. (laughs) Yeah. But here's a question. So I've known you six years. Yeah. Where is it clear cut to you today that you're operating at a much higher level of performance than you were six years ago, just on a daily basis? Oh, so, I mean, just the ability to take on any challenge, right? So I don't know my types of interactions, the conversations and the questions. Like, for example, when I'm in an audience, right, either speaking at an SU executive program or a 360, whatever the case might be, and I will talk about a technology and I'll say, who is this a challenge to or who is this an opportunity to? And I'll enter a conversation in which I have no previous preparation for. Yeah. And you don't have any destination in mind either. Exactly. You know, the master of this is Tony Robbins, who will talk some down from suicide or will Mm -hmm. take a conversation he's having with somebody, and I'll watch him enter the conversation and take it someplace completely perfect. So my skill is I find my ability to do that in the technology world Mm -hmm. and in the business world, where I will take a question that I have no preparation for and find elements of my experience and knowledge to help bring this to a point of value for the recipient. Mm -hmm. And I see you do this in coach. 
Yeah. I mean, my ability to just work with 60 new entrepreneurs and have them really fascinated from nine o'clock in the morning till five o'clock in the afternoon about what they're discovering about themselves, what they're thinking. And yet I've just got a few simple tools that I know I can rely on as I go. One of them is just asking really good questions. Questions are one of the greatest (laughs) intellectual inventions that were ever created, you know, as long as it's a question where you don't know the answer. That's interesting, right? Where you have an authentic conversation with the person. Yeah. I just want to know how the person's thinking about what they're thinking. I ask them a question. Well, let me ask you this. How are you thinking about this? You know, well, until they hit the question, they were just thinking about it the way they were thinking about it. But after the question, it has to be different. You know, I go back to my, this is going to be a theme now, is that I think humans just up their game when they get surrounded by things that really work automatically. So, I mean, if you think about our lives today compared to 100 years ago, where our supply of food and water and energy and healthcare and education, all this stuff is effectively automatical compared to where it was, we've upped our game exactly like you're saying by all of our free time, right? I mean, the one commonality for every human on the planet, the richest and the poorest at 24 hours a day, seven days in a week, 365 days in a year, and maybe 80 versus 100 years how you use your time is everything. Yeah. And the mindset that you approach it with mm-hmm. is everything. Yeah. Yes. Fascinating stuff. This was really freewheeling. And I, I get a lot of feedback from the coach clients who listen to Exponential Wisdom. And they said, you know, I, I just think differently for the rest of that day after I've listened to one of these podcasts. You're perverse, Peter. You're perverse. You're you're uh, a subversive person. I like know. causing people to stop and question. So <laughs> yeah. as you're yeah. going through your day today, for you, Dan, for me, and for everybody listening, what are the things that you would love to have an intelligence do for you? Because those are business opportunities, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what don't you want an AI or robot doing for you? Yeah, I think mine would be a lot of technological extensions where my access to certain kinds of technologies for production of intellectual capital could be speeded up and there would be an intelligence that I'm working with and I'm talking to that would do the organizing work, would do the how work. You know, in the last Strategic Coach program, we talked about when you think of something that you would really like to have, don't think about how think about who. You know, billionaires don't do how. Billionaires do who. They're whores. That's what they are. They're whores. (laughs) (laughs) So the question is, can your AI be your who? Yeah. And my feeling is that that's going to happen. My sense is, just to put in a plug here, because I'm going to be rewarded for this in a couple of weeks, is that Esther will just keep upping her game If there's some automatic support that she doesn't have to spend her time doing. Yeah, agreed. I know which side my (laughs) bread is buttered. (laughs) Yes, it's so true. So true. Well, buddy, an honor and a pleasure, as always. Love my time with you. I explore so many fun areas. So until we meet again. Peter, real pleasure, and it's just two weeks. We'll see you in Beverly Hills. You know, when we walk into that room with the biggest audience ever, and I think probably the the most filtered audience that you've ever had, just yeah, in terms sure. of their intentionality and their motivation for being at Abundance 360, I mean, 
just the excitement of that, I'm sure, is going to wake you up early on the first morning. It does from now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, pal. Be well. Okay. Bye. Bye.